Welcome to my favorite theorem, the math podcast with no quiz at the end. I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida, and I am joined, as always, by my fabulous other host, co-host, I don't know, we... we co-host. Co-host, yeah, that sure, that's, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a host, but going in the opposite direction. That's right. We reverse uh, the arrows. Uh, yeah. Math joke. Uh, <laughs> yes, I'm Evelyn Lamb, a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, actually just got back to Salt Lake from a wonderful trip this past week where I got to meet uh, two new additions to my family. Yeah, at, that's great. Uh, ages three months and three weeks. Mm. So that was that was pretty fun to, hold one of the tiniest babies I've ever held. Um, so yeah, very nice little fall trip to take. And now I'm back here and talking about math. Yeah, well, last Friday night, I uh, I drove two hours over to Ponte Vedra, which is sort of near Jacksonville, to uh, by myself to a concert. So this is this is where I am in life. So I, I went to see Bob Mould, who many people may or may not know, but he was, yeah, uh, Christopher's chicken. He's like, yeah. Uh, he was in Husker Du and then Sugar, and he's been doing solo albums forever. And um, I've been a fan for going on 40 years, which is also weird to say. Uh, had a great time, though, um, by myself. It's great, you know. It's a, this, yeah. this, this is what one does in his 50s, I suppose. So um, anyway, not as exciting as holding a newborn, but... Um, but still pretty good. So anyway, yeah. but yeah, hey, let's talk math. So uh, today we are pleased to welcome Christopher Danielson to the show. Uh, why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah, I am uh, coming to you from St. Paul, Minnesota. Nice. Uh, Bob Mould, also a fellow Minnesotan. Uh, uh, I work. Go ahead. Oh, he went to McAllister. Right. Yeah, that's right. Oh, nice. That yeah. is in it right up mm -hmm. the street from where I'm standing right mm -hmm. now. Um, I work uh, a day job at Desmos Classroom, which is now mm. part of Amplify, designing, uh, working with a number of colleagues to design math curriculum. We're currently working on an Algebra One curriculum, about to wrap that up uh, and moving on to geometry. Mm. Uh, and then on the side, I have many projects, some of which will come up in our work today, but I think I understand that you two are familiar with the Talking Math with Your Kids blog mm -hmm. that grew into then a uh, large-scale, playful, annual family math event at the Minnesota State Fair called Math on a Stick. Cool. Uh, and I also am executive director at a small nonprofit that uh, seeks to create playful, informal math experiences for children and families in the same spirit as the work we do at Math on a Stick, but designed for a variety of other sorts of spaces. That nonprofit is called Public Math. Very yeah. cool. So I, I'm probably doing that thing where I generalize from a small number of examples. One of my best friends in grad school was from Minnesota and just loved the state fair. So I think that Minnesotans just have this special relationship with the state fair. And so I did, I I'm really interested in hearing more about how you do math on a stick um, at the Minnesota State Fair. Yeah, should I pick that up right now, or is there more on the agenda? Yeah, that, that would be great. No, no, go ahead. First? No, go Excellent. Ahead. Yeah, so the Minnesota State Fair, it's uh, the second largest state fair in the country behind only, of course, Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, Where I am from. Texas is, oh, nice. Texas yeah. lasts for a month. Ours is 12 days. 12 days of fun ending Labor Day is one mm. of the mottos. The other is the great Minnesota get-together. Um, the uh, location of the fairgrounds is especially convenient for large attendance. Uh, the fairgrounds are right sort of on the border between Minneapolis and St. Paul. Mm. Um, and uh, they have been for probably the past 20 years been working on uh, developing some educational and family-friendly spaces. 
uh, out of a perception that it is expensive to go to the fair, which is true. Mm. But then once you're in, that there isn't much to do besides look at animals and buy more, buy a bunch of food. Yeah, um, on a and stick. so they've been working on, yeah, on a stick, exactly. <laughs> right. So they've been working on that, and uh, that led to um, a lovely literacy space called the Alphabet Forest that is about 12 years old now. And the first time I sat down there, uh, it was their fifth year. And it was like the sky, the clouds parted, and the angels sang. And I was like, I've got to figure out how to build the math version of this. And so together with um, some organizational support from the Minnesota Council of Teachers of Mathematics and a bunch of expertise from folks that I know through the blog work and through my work in math education, uh, put together a pitch. And after many very boring meetings, uh, it became a thing. And so we've got about 15 to 20 different mathematical, playful, creative math activities, everything from a big table full of tiling turtles to uh, a set of numbered stepping stones that you just see kids jumping up and down happily, counting, counting by twos, creating all sorts of fun things to do with. We have a different visiting mathematician uh, or mathematical artist every day, each of the 12 days, and they bring whatever sort of hands-on thing they're into. Um, sometimes that's sort of the standard stuff with like Mobius strips and hexaflexagons, and sometimes it is uh, new and new and delightful uh, creative things that the world has never seen before. Mm. Uh, so yeah, math on a stick. Come on out and play with us. 12 days of fun ending Labor Day. Always starts on a Thursday, runs through a full week, two weekends, and then ends on Monday. Yeah, yeah. That, that does sound like a neat thing. Sometimes I go to the farmer's market here or something like that and just think like, where, you know, where are there opportunities to kind of create, like you said, these playful, you know, a non-classroom math experience for people? Yeah, yeah my uh, one of my public math colleagues has a project called Math Anywhere, Molly Daly. She's in mm -hmm. uh, Vancouver, Washington, and um, also does some stuff across the river in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and farmers markets are one of the more successful spaces uh, mm -hmm. for her. So, you know, she'll pay for a, for a booth. She has grant money. She'll pay for a booth and just set up a much smaller version of, of math on a stick stuff, um, as well as some other stuff that she's designed or harvested from other places. But three or four activities um, and yeah, delightful times ensue. However, I had a recent experience at uh, the Mall of America, largest mm. shopping yeah. complex also yes. here in the Twin Cities. Yes. Um, and it was really interesting because the way that kids' families move through the Mall of America is wildly different from how they move for, through the state fair. Mm. Um, so it was just an invitation to a uh, big STEM steam carnival. Um, and we brought some, uh, some, one of our favorite things is called a pattern machine, little punchy buttons, nine by nine grid of punchy buttons that you can draw pictures on. And mm -hmm. it's like the, each button is like the clicky end on a ballpoint pen. So we brought a bunch of those. And then we also had the mega pattern machine which is just thousands of buttons from all these machines smashed together to make a nice big floor space. Um, but the way that kids come into math on a stick is that there's like this long elastic band between parents and children um, at the fair, not in the super crowded spaces in the fair, but in the, the, the less crowded spaces. Mm -hmm. um, and so often kids will see those, those stepping stones that, by the way, start at zero and mm, then continue good. on to 23. Yeah. Yeah, so they'll start on the zero, uh, like kids will, and they'll lead the way into the space. Like we deliberately set up those stepping stones so that the, the edge of this outdoor space, and by the time kids get to 23, now they're surrounded by eggs that they can put into, into little plastic eggs they can put into large egg crates and tiling turtles and pattern machines and all sorts of fun things to do. And families will sort of follow along behind mm -hmm. uh, at the mall. 
there's none of that. There's none mm. of that. Families move in really <laughs> tight units. There's no like a child leading right. leading uh, the family into a space, which is just a really interesting dynamic. Um, and having been out uh, in Portland a couple weeks ago with Molly when she was at one of the farmers markets, it felt very much more like the fair. You know, it's mm -hmm. a, a, a mom or a dad might be much more likely to say, "Okay, sweetie, you keep you know playing with these turtles." I'm going to hop over there and buy some mm -hmm. apples and I'll be back in two minutes. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, they can kind of keep their eye on them and everything, but that that elastic band is much longer. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever says, okay, sweetie, to, you know, their four-year-old, I'm going to, I'm going to just hop across to, you know, the department store over here. You keep, you keep playing with something in the hallway. Mm -hmm. So those, that public math um, is our project where we're trying to think about how do you design for those kinds of spaces? Right. So what right. would have been a better design than the one we had um, for something like the, our, our time at the Mall of America. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. interesting, different kinds of math problems to yeah. solve. Yeah, right, uh, right. Different optimization. That's right, yeah. yeah. All right, so this podcast does have a name, though. So pres presumably, yeah. presumably you have a favorite theorem. So uh, you want to tell us what I it do. is? <laughs> I do. Uh, and it is, uh, yeah, my favorite theorem is, um, I'll state it simply, and then I'll explain. I guess we get, we get to talk about like why it's my favorite. Yeah, and sure. Yeah, 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 right. Um, it doesn't have a name. I feel like maybe maybe it should have. Maybe it has a name. Maybe yeah. you'll know a name for it. Well, we'll, okay. um, we'll brainstorm about yeah, it. Right. Let, yeah, let me state it simply, which is uh, that the vertices in a polygon are in one-to-one -one correspondence with the sides of the polygon. So, for example, oh, okay. a three-sided polygon mm -hmm. has three vertices. Mm -hmm. Is, it, is there a yeah. name for this? So, yeah, well... Is it the polygon theorem or something? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's... I mean, a polygon is just a cyclic graph. Is it... Is it there must be some graph theory name or something. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of... You know, this is kind of is... Has a little bit of an interesting linguistic thing, right? Because we, we call polygons a little bit differently at different sizes like we call we talk about triangles not mm -hmm. trigons mm -hmm. or trilaterals mm -hmm. uh, we talk about quadrilaterals like i think i have heard quadrangle that must be the yes the like tipping like point thing. Yeah. and yes. then yeah. then we get to to pentagons i guess that's not then a it's lateral just, yeah. or then, angle then it's just gone uh, then it's gone after yeah. five right yeah Yep. Right, but but gons gons are angles, so you are counting like the pentagon. Okay, is is, is that the Greek object. word for for angle? Then I and think, I think angle that's is right. the yeah. Latin so a goniometer word. is the is the thing that you can use to measure mm. you know your range of motion. Oh. I'm gesturing. That's great on podcasts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, range oh, of motion like in your arm or knee. Yeah. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, gon is. Okay. Is, uh, okay. Learn something. Yeah, new. so it's right. only the quadrilaterals whose sides we count. It's everything yeah. else we count the angles. And and by the way. We also have elided the fact that the the vertices and the angles themselves are in one to one correspondence, right? That that's a sure. Yeah. That's also maybe a corollary, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. So maybe I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here, but why is it a theorem that the angles mm. and sides are in one to one correspondence? Why is it not obvious? Other than the fact oh, that, like, nice. I, yeah. I've experienced these shapes right, my right. entire life and have never right. experienced one that did not have this property. Yeah. So, uh, 
I learned that this was a theorem and its necessity by working by working with five year olds. Mm, so okay. uh, when I, I have I wrote a book called Which One Doesn't Belong, which mm -hmm. was uh, an adaptation both of the Sesame Street routine, but also playing on some of the um, routines that I had seen other people playing around with. But for me, the, the thing that was novel about Which One Doesn't Belong was uh, that when my children were small, all the shapes books that they had an opportunity to encounter were wildly simplistic. Um, mm -hmm. There would be, you know, a triangle page, and then there'd be a square page, and then a mm -hmm. rectangle page, and never a square, never a square on the rectangle page. Oh, right? yeah. That's, woo, that's yeah. confusing for kids. Um, and like all of the triangles would be would be equilateral and uh, mm -hmm. oriented on one of their sides. Uh, mm -hmm. All of the all the hexagons were regular and again sitting on right. one of their sides. Or maybe if they're getting feeling a little wild, tip yep. it up, yeah. so stand <laughs> straight up and down, you know, resting on, balanced on a vertex. Um, but orientation isn't isn't a thing. Like there's all this mm -hmm. work that we know is important to come to understand a mathematical idea that just doesn't get doesn't happen in books that get published for young children. Even though if you've ever been around four, five, six year old children, like they can think about complex mm -hmm. relationships. They can think about complex ideas, but somehow we don't we don't understand or value that when we're creating books mm. for kids. So right. which one doesn't belong was my way of producing, taking ideas that other people had had and condensing them down into what I thought of as a, a shapes book that was more worthy of children's minds. Yeah, mm -hmm. I so will say. So the first say, draft of this. Oh, go ahead. Oh, just want to insert that it is a really fun book. I don't I don't remember when or or how I obtained a copy, but I. I have enjoyed going through it myself, and mm -hmm. I I probably should have asked permission, but I actually used it as an inspiration for one of the pages in this page-a-day calendar I put together a couple years ago, where I made just one where, you know, it's a bunch of shapes that all have slightly different properties, and, you know, you decide which one doesn't belong, mm -hmm. so yeah, thank yeah. you for that. By the way, I'll give you a little tip before... Uh, before explaining again why this theorem is important. Uh, if you're ever trying to design a which one doesn't belong set, uh, what you want to do is think about whatever your domain is. So say it's shapes. Mm. You want to think about four properties of shapes mm. and then uh, cover up the first one mm -hmm. and design one that has these three but doesn't have the first one. Mm -hmm. And then cover up the next one, design one that has those three but doesn't have this one. And by the time you're done, you'll either realize that your set of uh, four properties is more intertwined than you had originally thought. Now you got to mm -hmm. go back and revise, mm -hmm. or you'll have a set where you know for sure that there's at least one reason for each not to belong. Mm. But then, an extra, an important key to this is that uh, you have to be open to the possibility that some kid will see a reason for mm -hmm. a shape to not belong that wasn't the reason you'd intended. Right? Mm -hmm. that yeah. This mm -hmm. isn't a game of uh, of guess which of the four is right, but it's also not a game of guess what was in my head when I designed these. Right. Right. Instead, uh, we want to offer up something that we know is rich and then be uh, open to learning from the kids. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I made this book, was trying to shop it around to get it published, but also needed to you know, test drive it with children. So I went on what I called my Twin Cities Shapes Tour and like visited three, I think it was like three different elementary schools per week for four or five weeks. So I got mm. into just a ton of different situations, worked with kids, kindergartners through like fourth graders, all in classrooms, like 20 minute bits. And we just had a ball. Mm -hmm. um, and frequently I would hear from kids, uh, like one kid would say, 
you know, the shape, that shape doesn't belong because it has three sides and the others have four. The opening page of the book is mm -hmm. a, a triangle and then there are three rhombuses of various types and orientations. Um, so the kid would say, that one doesn't belong because it has the wrong number of sides, right? It has three sides, the others have four. And then somebody else would talk about some other shape. And then a, another kid would say, uh, that one doesn't belong because it has three corners and the others have four corners. And in my mm -hmm. mind, the first like 12 times I heard this from children, I thought to myself, yeah, you're not listening. Like some other kid, like that kid just yeah. said that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, didn't say it out loud, kept mm -hmm. it to myself. Uh, but it was after about the 12th time that I heard it that I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You heard, you heard the, like this kid over here said, mm -hmm. said different number of sides. And they'd be like, yeah. I, and I said different number of angles. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it was at that point that I realized that they're, they're, they're kindergartners, right? Mm -hmm. They haven't, they haven't, I know that they haven't seen any good shapes books, right? So they <laughs> haven't had the opportunity to consider the relationship between the number of sides and the number of angles. Right. And in my adult mind, I had this idea that it was obvious, which mm -hmm. is so true of mathematics, like always, right? That if there's something that we ourselves have internalized and experienced for a large number of years, mm -hmm. even if it was hard for us to learn at the beginning, We've probably forgotten about that. Right. Yeah. So yes, that's our that's our theorem, uh, and that's mm -hmm. why it's important. It's a thing that you actually do have to learn. It isn't obvious when you're first exploring these these mathematical objects, and I imagine that's true for uh, those who are studying combinatorics. Right. We were talking about mm -hmm. graph theory earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, lots of results that are feel obvious in retrospect because you use them all the time so much that they're sort of internalized and not even you don't even think about them anymore but there is some, some point where that thing had to be learned. So I'm sitting here trying to think of a proof of this theorem. And of course, the, the dumbest one that just popped into my head is to use the Euler characteristic. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that what, what like, the five how and six-year-old is doing? I love using sledgehammers to drive nails, yeah. right? Um, yeah, okay, so, so all right, this is a theorem, I must have a proof. So let, let, let's, let's construct yeah. one that doesn't well, use the Euler I, characteristic. Yeah, well, yeah. I feel like I would start yeah. with a line segment, that a line segment has two vertices. Right. And that every time, so then now I'm going to add another line segment to get what I remember, you know, formally mm -hmm. being a polygonal curve, mm -hmm. right, made up mm -hmm. of straight line segments. Mm -hmm. uh, and that when I add another line segment, now I add a segment and a vertex. So I have, I'm always going to have an extra vertex mm -hmm. until such time that I come back around. Yeah, and you add and don't a need segment and no vertices. Mm -hmm. you, this yeah. is exactly the Euler characteristic proof, just in, just in right. reverse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's funny because my mind actually, I think basically was the dual of mm -hmm. what you said where I, I swapped out. Um, so instead of that, I was thinking when you start with an angle, you've got mm -hmm. two line segments mm -hmm. and the vertex. And then I was actually kind of thinking like the number of angles you have, they each have two segments, but to connect them, you overlap the two. Mm -hmm. So you divide by two. Right. And, yeah. Right. So the number so of angles sort of is a, the number of lines. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Little, maybe maybe slightly different, but similar uh, mm -hmm. sort mm -hmm. of idea. Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting yeah, though. That, it's interesting that, that children see this as two different facts. That children are more literal, yeah. right? I mean, uh, in my experience, when my you know my my favorite one of my favorite stories about my son was uh, we were at an open house for eighth grade, and he walks in and his and his soon to be math teacher says, "Do you know what eight times seven is?" And he said, "Yes." Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, she was expecting him to say 56, but, you know, but, but, right. but, 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 you know, children will just give you this most yeah. literal answer that you can ever imagine. 
Uh, yeah. So, um, okay. Well, we usually ask this is a love at first sight sort of theorem, but I don't know. Um, maybe that's not the right question here. Um, uh, although maybe it was for you. I don't know. Uh, well, love at first noticing, right? Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, for me, the noticing that this thing that I had interpreted as being these two statements that I'd interpreted as just being equivalent and repetitious of each other, mm -hmm. um, noticing that that was a thing that required learning mm -hmm. and that these kids were absolutely listening to each other. And it gives me an opportunity as a teacher, right? I'm only in there for 20 minutes or so, but it gives me an opportunity to say, wait a minute, is that going to always be true? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Generality is, mm -hmm. uh, th this one had three sides and three, and three corners, mm -hmm. and these all have four and four. Is that always true? Can we imagine a polygon that has some different number of sides and corners? Yeah, um, and, and what do kids conclude about that? Or do they have like ways that they reason about why they have to be the same? Or do they develop pathological shapes that uh, don't have this property? Yeah, um, haven't had time to, to dig into that in, mm. in, uh, in depth with a group of students. Um, I've had a lot of sort of related experiences. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That, that would be super fun to, to uh, step in and pose as an offhand question. Kids absolutely will mm -hmm. uh, both think that it is probably, like, be willing to believe that it is true. And there will also be kids who will imagine that maybe there is some shape mm -hmm. that they just haven't had a chance to meet yet that, right. yeah. uh, that right. isn't. Um, and of course, what, that's, what, what that investigation with kindergartners, that's going to get you into uh, a lot of a lot of really interesting kinds of conversations because they don't have polygon yet as a as a defined category of, of mathematical objects mm -hmm. and so we're going to have to start to think about whether a circle yeah. counts as a polygon mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. um, right. whether right. curvy sides count as count as sides and or if you've got all, like that's all a square work. with a handle on it that's like just a line segment what's mm -hmm. that is it right yeah you know? yeah 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 okay. very cool but yeah, that kind of uh, you know monster creation, sort of from uh, Lakatos's um, proofs and refutations, like that kind mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. that kind of counter potential counterexample, and then dealing with whether the counterexample is really a counterexample. That kind of stuff goes on at all levels of mathematics for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Right. This I like this. It you know it, it is not a theorem I have thought about as a theorem ever in my entire life. Right. Right. Well, and I, I think I, I think I see why you love it because it actually it's it, it's it's more of a meta result than the actual theorem. The theorem itself is less important than kind of the the questions that it it can trigger and and to get kids thinking about things in an interesting way, right? But yeah. it's also but it's definitely not a postulate. Like if we're in Euclid, yeah. like it's not a postulate. No, right? it isn't. Or an axiom. It it is yeah. a theorem. It's, That's right. Yeah. And there are there are certainly there are certainly lots of uh, results about triangles that in which we ha know there are three sides and so mm -hmm. there are also three angles because mm -hmm. it was a triangle. Mm -hmm. uh, right, right. Yeah, so it, it's, if, if you don't have it, if you get rid of it, like we could say it's not important, but if you get rid of it, there's a lot of geometry you're not gonna be able to do. Oh, yeah. okay, so right, so now instead of non-Euclidean, we might have sort of non-polygonal geometry. <laughs> right? so, so, so we don't insist that our, that our polygons have, this, have equal numbers of sides and, and Oh sure, yeah, yeah. I was yeah, yeah. I was just yeah. imagining a world in which like we in which the theorem has like it's an it's an undecided result or just one oh, that yeah. uh -huh. can't 
we can't count mm -hmm. on. So anything, any place that we assume it, we've got to, yeah, we've got to work around it or mm -hmm. prove it again mm -hmm. every right. time. Right. Sure. Um, or or yeah. we can only yeah, use I, theorems I about too. angles. Or... Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. So the other part of this podcast is we ask our guests to pair their favorite theorem with something. So, so what, yeah. what, what pairs have, well with this? I have two pairings. I have two okay, pairings. Good. I don't know if, good. That, if that counts or if it's uh, now, a, sure. yes. you know, there's, we need well, a new word for a pairing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, no, that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm going to pair it first with a claim and then with an admonition. Okay. Uh, the admonition <laughs> is related to the, to what we've already been discussing, but the claim is, uh, it's going to be controversial here. I imagine hmm. the claim is that a diamond is a shape. Okay. okay. Uh, so. A, two, yeah, a 2D us. diamond or a 3D diamond? Ooh, yeah. So I'm thinking I'm still in plane geometry. Okay. Uh, right. But surely, surely mm -hmm. there is some corollary for, for three-dimensional yeah, okay. geometry. All right. Um, but yeah, there's a, uh, I used to, I got my start in math education teaching seventh and eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And I used to, when I was a seventh and eighth grade teacher, mid nineties, uh, I was in a camp that is uh, still, still very active in which if a child says diamond, I say again, no, no, sweetie, uh, rhombus. You mean rhombus? Mm -hmm. Like we call mm -hmm. it. We're, we're sophisticated mathematicians. We don't right. use the word diamond. Right. But again, through working with with the the kindergarten kids, I came to understand that uh, they don't like diamond and rhombus are not are absolutely not the same thing to mm -hmm. them. So if we treat mathematics as a human construction, right? Mm -hmm. Then the the mathematical ideas that a five year old has uh, are are worth testing and exploring. Mm -hmm. And one of those ideas that they have is that orientation of the shapes matters. Mm. Right? Yeah, so I was a wondering. A square that's standing on its corner is yeah. a diamond. Mm -hmm. uh, a rhombus standing on a vertex is a diamond. But also, mm -hmm. if you cut the top off that rhombus, you now have a, a pentagon. Mm -hmm. right? Still a diamond. diamond. It's got a vertical line of symmetry. <laughs> Still a diamond, right? Right. So, um, so not only is there not a uh, correspondence because rhombus is a thing that doesn't depend on orientation while diamond does, Mm -hmm. um, but also that not every diamond has to have yeah has to have four sides in the way that a rhombus does. They don't have to be equal sides. You can you can stretch it so you've got right. short sides on. I top was wondering and, if and a kite is a diamond. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So the thing, yeah, absolutely, kites are diamonds. So a thing that I would be very excited about would be uh, a world in which instead of we as math teachers saying no, no, no sweetie, that's diamond. You mean rhombus? You know, diamond isn't a word we use. It doesn't really count. Mm -hmm. Um, that it instead be a place where we press on that in all the ways that we press on mathematical ideas and try to get at definitions, mm -hmm. um, right? So now we're going to make a whole bunch of different examples. Draw me a diamond that looks different from anybody else's diamond. Mm -hmm. um, and we create this category. And so the, uh, I think the best understanding I have of a, a definition of diamond that would satisfy most kindergartners uh, is something about it has to have a vertical line of symmetry. Mm -hmm. uh, and it uh, has to be convex. So the, the darts are not diamonds. Mm -hmm. um, and somewhere between four and probably like eight sides. Mm. Uh, triangles are never diamonds. Never, 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 never. No. Uh, but four or five. And it six. has to have a, a vertex on the bottom. Yes, it has to be, yep. Vertical line symmetry that goes through, that yeah. goes through the vertex at the bottom. Oh, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. right, yep, okay. Excellent. Um, so that's my that's my claim. A diamond is a shape, and therefore worthy of uh, of investigation mm -hmm. rather than of dismissal. Okay. Well, yeah, that, I'll, I'll buy that. Your admonition. Okay, right, ready yeah. for the admonition? Sure. The admonition is uh, stop showing children only the special case. 
I seem to remember a Twitter, like like you you were. I started yelling at a publisher. You were you were hot about this on Twitter. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's a really interesting. I think the thing you're remembering was actually almost the reverse, which is that they. It's the thing I alluded to earlier that they never. There's never a square on the rectangle page. So I was at a. That I went to this public library doing some research on children's books for some work that I'm doing, and happened course was in the shape section and happened to see this book about rectangles mm -hmm. like literally its title is rectangles this is a book all about rectangles it has yeah. no other purpose <laughs> and i pick it up but just you know, like want there to be a witness to this but of course there yeah. wasn't right. of my predicting there's not going to be a single square in this in this mm -hmm. rectangle mm -hmm. <laughs> flip through pages of course there isn't so it's just one of these small sort of regional publishers that publishes educational titles for libraries and school libraries and whatnot right but i i yeah i dm them on twitter to say hey Maybe we could could liven this up a little bit, and they said, "Well, no. According to state standards, you know, we're responding to state standards that require <laughs> no. us to blah blah blah." Mm -hmm. I was like, "Oh, that's really interesting. I'd love to see the standard that says that you can't say a square is a rectangle." Mm -hmm. <laughs> what they came back with was a Texas standard at kindergarten that says at kindergarten uh, you are supposed to be studying special examples of shapes, such as squares being special rectangles. Mm -hmm. And this publisher was publishing a book for four-year-olds. And so because mm. it was a pre-K title, mm -hmm. they couldn't put the kindergarten standard in yeah. in order to be well aligned. Yeah, don't let them get ahead. Yeah, too advanced <laughs> to know that a square is a rectangle. And we have this idea that like we have to, we have, we can't provide, again, we can't provide complex ideas. We can't give kids interesting things to think about or conundrums or puzzles or, yeah. So yeah, the, the, my admonition isn't quite that, right? My admonition mm -hmm. is stop showing them only the special case, yes. but also please let's show them the special case mm -hmm. and help them integrate the special case with the general one. Yes. But yeah, the, all the shapes books with the with the triangles that are on their bases. And, right. Yeah. Um, right. You know, it's like if we were teaching kids about even numbers and the only no even number we showed them was two. Right. right. <laughs> End right. of story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> seems like maybe... Maybe yeah, we need a little bit more. more than that. I'm kind of wondering, you know, this like gorilla math uh, person with a, like square stickers, like going into all the shapes book and <laughs> books and putting them in the rectangle pages. Um, that would be a fabulous public math project. That really yeah. would. That's good. That's good. All right. All right. So we always like to give our guests a chance to, to plug uh, themselves and things they're doing. Uh, where can we find you on the line? Where can... Where can we purchase your wares? You have excellent wares for sale. Yeah, uh, yeah. thank you. So uh, Talking Math With Your Kids is the blog and also the online store uh, where tiling turtles and mm -hmm. pentagons, hexagon puzzles for small children that have widely varying examples of hexagons mm -hmm. uh, are all available there. Um, the Twitter feed is Triangle Man CSD. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, Triangle Man was already taken by the time I got to Twitter like 12 years ago. And so I had to tack my initials, CSD, Christopher Scott Danielson on the end. But, but not by They Might Be Giants. So who took Triangle Man? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Some guy yeah. who never uses it. I think he lives in Florida. Uh, never tweets. Sure. And uh, yeah, by all rights, by all rights, it should have been turned yeah. over to me long ago. But yes, yeah. it is. The, the, the Twitter handle is in honor of both They Might Be Giants and uh, my love of shapes and geometry. Sure. Okay. Uh, so that's the Twitter feed. Um, yeah, public-math.org for some of the projects we're up to over there. But you can get to it all through the um, through the Twitter. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Excellent. Well, this thanks. is fun. Yeah, thanks for joining us and, and for making us think about the fact that it's a theorem. Uh, that's really, yeah. yeah, that's useful. All right. 
All right. Truly a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Take care. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Brown. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at Nivik That's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards. And Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics. <laughs>